0: So as we're looking through this series, we're we're talking about uh, from the brink. What are those things that that we encounter in our lives that that truly, if we were to say, "I'm about to fall into a, a trap. I'm about to fall into a uh, you know just just a complete bottomless Gosh, I don't even know, right? If if I get pulled into this, I'm going to find myself just not being able to recover. Uh, I I had on the screen here, God never changes, right? And so that's where we're going to start for today. God never changes, and that's kind of like the baseline for where we're going today. And so before you hear me something, hear me say something that you go, oh, remember this, God, God never changes. And that's not really that hard to understand. It's not really a difficult thing to, for us to, to really wrap our minds around is that God is the constant of life. God doesn't change, He's the unchanging one in the midst of all of the continuous change that we experience day over day. In fact, the scriptures say it this way Numbers 23, verse 19 God is not a man, so He does not lie. He is not human and he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? And the answer to that is no, God has never spoken and not failed to act. He's never promised and failed to carry through. Hebrews 13 says Jesus, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. James said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is constant. He's steadfast in a world that is ever-changing. He is the constant. He is the one to whom we must anchor our very souls or tether our souls to. God never changes, but the constant state of life is change. Just as an example, how many of you, when you woke up this morning, you had to do an inventory? Uh, you kind of stopped doing the inventory by what hurts, but started doing the inventory by what doesn't hurt, Right? Oh, I woke up today and my arm didn't hurt. It's gonna be a good day. But God never changes. And, and, and as we think about how does that work out in our lives, if we look at this and we ask the question, if God never changes and we live in this world that is a constant state of change, where do we put our anchor? Where do we tie ourselves to? Let me tell you a few places that we don't tr- tie ourselves to. One is traditions. Traditions are, are, are great to build camaraderie, but they're nothing to hang your salvation on. Buildings are great to meet, uh, meet in, but they are nothing, so, there's nothing that will bring you closer to God through them. The same with style, procedures. All of these things may have their purpose, but they are not God. And when we focus on the wrong things, Well, the church becomes irrelevant. Irrelevant means, very simply, my middle school self defined this one today. Irrelevant means not relevant. (laughs) Think about the things that, uh, that you've experienced through life that are no longer relevant. How about eight tracks? Anybody have a stack of those in a closet somewhere with no eight track player? Yeah? Yeah, you got one? Okay. How about floppy disks? Oh, yeah. yeah, I got a stack of those, used them as coasters for a little while. I don't know why I still have them, right? How about this? Anyone in here still using dial-up? No. See, irrelevance happens when, when the language, the methods, the styles we use, they no longer connect to the culture or the people around us. You end up speaking a language that no one understands or appreciates. Irrelevance. Irrelevance means that you, you potentially lose the people that you are trying to have community with. The people that you're trying to meaningfully connect with. It means that sometimes, you know, I don't know if you're in this place or not, but you have a, a family member that's a little bit younger than you or a whole lot younger than you, and they start spouting off some stuff, and you're going, say, what? what the, okay. And you, oh, that's nice. That's nice. I have no idea what you're talking about. How many of us have this place where we found ourselves no longer understanding what's going on around us? It's like we kind of woke up in the middle of a dream, right? And we woke up, we knew that something important was going on, but no one informed us as to what it was. And we have ourselves then in a spot where we are no longer contributing to the things that help other people to know who God is. We get ourselves so contrary to to the the gospel that we find ourselves not actually becoming a person that invests passionately into the next generations. Because it happens this way. At one point, you maybe were the top of your field. You knew exactly how to do the job that needed to be done. You knew exactly what the, the ins and the outs, the, what, the, what the right settings were, who the right people to talk to were. Then all of a sudden one day they came in and they shut down the factory or they closed off that segment of business and here you are and you have all of these special skills but nobody speaks your language anymore. Or maybe you're just so innovative, you're, 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 just, you're just one of these people that no matter what, you, you try and you try and you, and you find yourselves giving a pitch that no one wants to listen to. Maybe one time in your life you saw tremendous growth. You saw tremendous growth in your career, in your ability to connect with people. But now it seems like there's just dusty cobwebs and corners. and we just don't find ourselves connecting with people like we once did. But here's the harshness of irrelevance. Irrelevance silently squanders influence. Eventually, you get labeled as a a person or a church who doesn't quite get it. Or that doesn't matter. That has no meaningful voice in the discussion. Rick Warren said that irrelevance happens when the speed of change outside is greater than the speed of change inside the organization. And in that, in that, there's a gap, and that gap, the distance between change and where you are, is called irrelevance. The bigger the gap, the more irrelevant. So, what's changing faster? Is it you or culture? The fast track to irrelevance means that you stop changing. So before you turn me off absolutely, completely, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about theology. I'm not talking about our core beliefs in God. We're not talking about the tenets of our faith. Those don't change, and they will not change. Because if you change those If you change your core belief, it won't be long until you've sold your soul. The goal is for us not to morph into chase culture, and it's not to become just like everybody else. But no one can cast themselves into the throes of culture and survive unscathed. So what do we do? How do we then engage in the right way? Well, our goal is to understand culture so well that we can speak into it. Understand culture well enough, well enough that we can point to the constant and never-changing truth of God and put Him as the anchor of our souls. The solution to the questions they have, the solution to the anxiety they feel, the things that they see, and the trouble that sometimes they create. There's something funny about people, and it's, and it's all found in this understanding of the word change. And in fact, how many of you, when I say the word change, you're like, ugh. Yeah? The only time we like change is when it's underwear, right? But here's the thing about change. We usually get stuck in the decade the decade that the most significant things happened to us. The decade that we loved the most. For some of us, it, w- it was high school. For some, it was college. For others, it was when they had children. And for others yet, they're still waiting to see when that's going to be. But here's the thing. We often get stuck in those decades. And what influence, influences our idea of what is good is made in the, that decade. So how many of you feel like the music right now is just not good? Right? It's not good. The country's not country, right? Our lives get stuck in this place, and it, and it goes into everything. It goes into how we decorate, the music we listen to, how we dress, what brands we trust, right? i only buy Heinz ketchup. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Only drive a Ford, only drive a Chevy, whatever it is, right? But left unchecked, we kind of just stay in the decade that a lot of our tastes, knowledge, and experiences were shaped. We stay frozen, for the most part, in the era that we loved the best. And so the bottom line is this, we like what we know. The feeling of a more simple time. Remember, we would go home when the streetlights came on, right? That time that we understood, well, the time that we understood well more than this current one. And you know it happens and you see it happen all around. Think about the restaurant that you loved when you were younger. The office building or the school. Remember the architecture, the way that it was, that it was arranged, the, the feeling, the, the, the music, the style, everything about it. It will bring you back to maybe 1990, 1970, whatever it is. Sometimes these things don't change, and sometimes they they not only look the same, they smell the same. But if you're careful, you may, may even smell like the year that you stopped changing. The problem is this. Culture never asks permission to change. That's true, right? They didn't ask me if I wanted to change the kind of car that I drive. They just keep changing them. They didn't ask me if I wanted to stop wearing my really, really nice, really nice overalls with the one side down. (laughs) They didn't ask. No one had the courtesy to ask me. No one had the courtesy to say, you know what, we're going to change this technology, but we want you to still come along with us. It just changed. Think about how that played out in church. No one asked if it was okay to use a slide projector. I'm not talking about one of these projectors. I'm talking about... Right? No one asked if it was okay to put the computer in or to use the internet. It just came. No one asked. And change was just brought. But did you know that's exactly how irrelevance happens? And so we can try our best to beat it. And I think that there are some things that we can, that we can do to get out of being irrelevant. And we don't have to spend a, a lifetime tethered to things that don't matter. Because that's the reality. When we become irrelevant, we become tied to the things that don't matter. And we're not answering the questions that are actually meaningful. Change is the only thing that bridges the gap between who you are and who you need to be. Change keeps your job skills fresh. It keeps your language up to date. It keeps you connected to your kids and eventually your grandkids. And you say, hold up. We just said that God never changes. And you're right. God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But God does require that our lives are in a consistent change to become more like his son. He requires us to be more like Jesus. To enter through that narrow gate. To lay down our own lives. To pick up his life. To follow the example of Jesus meant that you were willing to go and do and enter into conversations with people that were not like you. It says that I seek to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus in me. Because following God always means change for us. You're not convinced? Israelites. The Israelites spent 400 years in Egypt. God called them out of Egypt into this promised land, but in that moment, the walk through the wilderness, God said, you are not the way that you need to be in order to live a righteous and holy life before me, so I will teach you what it means to be my people. So God brought them through the wilderness. He taught them how to fear him, taught them what it looked like to worship him. In the scriptures, we always find that significant things are are marked sometimes with name changes. Sometimes you are no longer called by the same name. But here's one of the things that is very true. The mission of the church has not changed for over 2,000 years. The mission of the church has not changed for over 2,000 years. It has not changed. But we have. Irrelevance means that we stay the same and we're no longer being changed into the church or into the people that God needs us to be. So we need to become the people who God needs us to be so that we can influence a world that violently opposes Him. Now, I've been a Christian now for more than three decades. And that feels weird saying that because sometimes I feel like I'm not that old at all. But I've been a Christian for more than three decades. And I've been part of about a dozen churches in that time frame from, from being a kid until now. And I've been in churches from 20 people to 2,000 people. And each one of them were a little bit different. Each one of them had their own flavor, their own way of connecting. But every church was supposed to be on the exact same mission. In every church, these churches, they were markedly different when it came to one thing. Some of them stayed relevant and pursued the mission with passion, and the other ones built walls to keep people out. They found this place where they were most comfortable. They found that place where the style matched what they wanted. The look matched what they wanted. The people, they knew their name. Everything was the way they wanted it to be. And they found it and they took a flag and they planted it right there. They not only planted the flag, they put it in some cement, right? They put it in an anchor in their church culture. And they put it right there. And they weren't content with just having a flag in the ground that was anchored into the ground. They decided, you know what? We need to protect this flag. We need to put some walls around it. And then after they put the walls around, they decided that maybe they needed a covering over that wall to keep the flag from becoming tattered. Then eventually, they put the flag behind glass. And they only brought it out for special occasions. And eventually, you needed a ticket and special clearance to see the flag or be near it. That's how irrelevance comes. The churches who were relevant, now they didn't all look and feel the same, but they mostly did the same things. You know what they did? They didn't keep an inward focus, they worked to engage their cities. They worked to be a voice in the community. More than that, they led with passion into their communities, into their neighborhoods. They were the ones that were the voice of, the, of Jesus in a dark place. Relevant churches show their friends and their neighbors what it looks like when you have uh, so much passion for Christ that you lift Jesus high. And the scripture says when you lift Jesus high, the world will be drawn to him. The, if we lift Jesus high, we will be people who, who, who are passionately pursuing the mission of the church. And if we're, if we're unclear about what the mission of the church is, Jesus gave us the great commission, right, to go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them everything that he, he told us until he returns. Passionate people do their part to be consistently changed, to become more like Jesus. But the bottom line for any church and any organization to kind of close that gap between our relevance and anchoring it to who Jesus is, who God is, means that we have to do our part If I were able to sit down with you and and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever it is that you like to uh, sit down and talk about heavy things with, uh, not the hard stuff, okay? If we were to sit down and we were to have an honest conversation and you were to tell me about all of these things that are going on in your life, and you were to tell me about the things that you feel that you have failed in and how you have, are having trouble being transformed into the image of Christ, and honestly, how you feel possibly that it's too far for you to go, I would sit down with you and I'd tell you, listen, my number one desire for each and every one of you is that you would know Jesus Christ. That you would know him so fully that he is the one that is transforming you. He's transforming you into his image by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. That you're not trusting in in things that will fail, but instead you're trusting in Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, we're going to look at an account of Paul. Now, Paul, he had been in Ephesus, and he had been there for about two years. John and Timothy were at this, at this point there, and, and they were elders there. And we have a ton of information about what's going on here, uh, about the church in Ephesus. It's, it's uh, in First and 2 Timothy. It's First, Second, and Third John. It's in the book of Ephesians. And there were some amazing things going on. And this passage right here is about an itinerant Jewish exorcist and Paul's hanky. Here's what it says. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God was doing some amazing things. Wherever Paul went, people were being changed. He was doing such amazing things that that even the handkerchiefs or the aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcist undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. The seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But here's the thing. The evil spirit answered them. And they said, Jesus. Now, Jesus, I know. And we've heard of Paul. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them. So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And how do you know if you've lost a fight? You lose your drawers. And this became known. It became known to all the residents of Ephesus. (laughs) Right? As it should. Both Jews and Greeks. But here's the thing, that it reminds us, gossip always makes its way out, right? It always makes its way out, especially, especially when Satan is winning inside the church. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were new believers came. The believers came with repentant hearts. They began to confess their sins. They began to give up their idols. Also, those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, divulging the areas where they had chosen to ignore the transformation of Jesus and follow after ungodly and evil things. And a number of those who practiced the magic, the magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of it, and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, in today's uh, economy, that's about $8.5 million. That's 50,000 daily wages. That's $64,000 a year for 136 years. So the word of God continued to increase and prevail mightily. So don't miss this. The proper response to Jesus in our life is consistent change into his likeness. It means that we are placing the anchor of our soul in the proper place, tethering to Jesus, not to a building, Tethering to Jesus, not to tradition. Tethering to Jesus, not to culture. Tethering to Jesus. And Jesus knows that we have this tendency to wander. Uh, This tendency to bind ourselves to the things we shouldn't. In Revelation, he said it this way. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and then do the works you did at first. If not, Jesus said, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. If we don't get to first things first, God will remove our lampstand unless you repent. So in Acts chapter 19, these people were openly confessing their sin. They were openly repenting of their sin, even at the great cost of burning the things that they had embraced. And this was not just new believers. These were people who already believed. Then the others came. The lampstand in the book of Revelation is God's presence. God's presence is influence. Influence is Jesus lifted high. And Jesus lifted high means that people will be drawn to him. The whole, the whole goal of churching together, of us worshiping together, of being together at all, is worship in the transformation of hearts. John said, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And with the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. The church flourishes on mission when we stop playing. When we get real When we stop trying to tether ourselves to things that don't matter and we say, you know what? It doesn't matter if people think something about me because I care more about how I am seen by a holy God than I do about what I think people would say. When we get real and we face the fact that we have sin in our lives, when we get real and recognize that we have sin, Because let's be honest, everyone else in the world knows we do. The people in our community see it. Our co-workers experience it. The community, the world, is drawn to authenticity, not hypocritical self-righteousness. The believers brought their books. The ones who knew better brought their books and burned them. The people who had not grown up in church, those kinds of people, they bring messiness, right? They bring messiness when when they come into the church. Because we brought messiness when we came into the church. Even the ones that grew up in it from this high. Paul shows us the right attitude in all of this is to help others. Don't serve yourself. Help others don't serve, serve yourself. In fact, on every seat, there's a, a card that talks about how we purposefully pray for every seat. We don't just throw them down. But on the other side of that card, it has two questions. It says, how can I help? And how can I leverage me for you? Because Paul knew That the world has changed when you know that your purpose is not to help yourself, but it's to help others. In all things, he says, I've shown you by working hard in this way that we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So how then do we become relevant? How do we make sure that our lives aren't aren't continuing to increase in a gap? How do we ensure that our anchor is in Christ and not in our own flags and not in our own likes? How do we become relevant in a world that continues to change? The first thing we need to learn to do is to love the mission more than the method if you attend a Next Steps class with us, we have this, uh, this diagram that's a, a pyramid. And it has these baseline things, our core beliefs, everything that, that we believe about uh, the church, about who God is, about every bit of our theology. There's, there's nine basic things that we believe. Then it, then it talks about our, our mission on the ch- as the church. And you get a little bit higher up there, and there's this little dotted line that says that, that the things below here don't change. Our mission, our doctrine, our core beliefs, they don't change. But everything above the line, our strategies, our goals, they change. We have to learn how to love the mission more than the way we do things. We need to learn to love the gospel changing hearts more than we are invested in doing things the way that we've done them before. Because we all have programs and we all have music and we all have tools that we like. The next thing we need to do is make big, radical changes incremental change brings incremental results now we could take this and say this is about the church but let me tell you right now this is about you some of us need big change we need big change not "Eh, you know I'll think about doing better some of us need big change big change equals repentance. It means that we're being consistently changed into the image, the likeness of Jesus. It means that you love people more than you love your comfort. Number three, become a student of culture so that you can speak into it. Seek to understand so that you can become a guide. Become a guide that lifts Jesus high in a world that is violently opposed to him so that he can change them from the inside out. Because the bottom line about people, regardless of how they feel about God, regardless of how they feel about the Bible, regardless of how they feel about Jesus, regardless of anything else, everyone wants to be understood and everyone wants to be known. Number four, surround yourself with younger people. Take an interest in their life and in their world. Not to criticize, but to seek to understand. If you spend most of your time with people that are your age and older, you might need to check this one a little bit. Because the last time I read Scripture, it said something about the older teaching the younger the older encouraging and spurring on the younger in their faith. If you've gotten to a place where you're coasting and you're not investing in the lives of people who are younger than you, maybe it's time to go back a few steps and think about some big change, some repentance. Did you know that so, so many people do some of their very best work and craft their greatest contributions in life later in life? Because they have a lifetime of knowledge, of insight, and wisdom to back what they believe. And they have an opportunity to, to push that back into culture. So maybe instead of railing against the way things are, they begin to leverage what they know about the past and the present in order to make the future better. So we need to step in, step in to make things better, roll up our sleeves, encourage people in Christ, teach the godly, transformational habits of a lifetime that come from a lifetime of following. You know the number one question that people ask when it comes to, to growing in their faith? It's, how do I really study the Bible? Some of you have been studying the Bible for decades. You can't tell me you're not qualified. Are you intentionally passing down the things that you've learned over a lifetime into another life? Change is hard, but the right kind of change ushers in so much good. Listen, we all prefer things the way that we want. You may prefer to do things the, your way and to keep everything the same, and you're welcome to do that in your living room, okay? But for the sake of the next generation, start contributing through all of your life. And that means if you're in, if you're in high school, you need to invest in the lives of someone in middle school. If you're in middle school, you need to invest in the lives of somebody in elementary And you just kind of work that thing through the generations. Our job is to contribute to the body to encourage it and not just to intend to change, but actually do it. Because unimplemented change becomes regret. And unfortunately for the church, irrelevance, it becomes a lost generation. Are you looking around and saying, you know what? I wish that my grandchildren would know Jesus. But they live in a place where the church is not relevant. Because unimplemented change will become regret. And you know what? Regret, it has a name. Or rather, regret has names. It's that person that you chose not to tell. Maybe their name was was Henry. Maybe their, their name was Violet. But regret has a name. The regret is the names of the souls that we refuse to reach, the very real people that we choose to leave behind. So how, then, do we become relevant? We love more. We be changed. We learn culture, and we encourage the young.